T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. The owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe it. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international depression. Mark Reardon. So in the words of my late friend Aretha Franklin, show some R-E-S-P-I-C-T. This is the Mark Reardon Show. Yes, it is. We can confirm that. And it's Tuesday, ladies and gentlemen. That's not the greatest thing in the world because it's still early in the week. How are you, Sue Thomas, this afternoon? I am doing well. Thank you. I'm I'm exhausted. I played uh, two racquetball matches this morning. Yes, just to reemphasize, I'm back into the sport that died 40 years ago. (laughs) Proud to be there. And I... uh, How'd it go? well, you had had a lesson, mixed, as I recall. Mixed results. I had a lesson yesterday trying to apply what I learned in the lesson mm-hmm. because basically I'm just trying to hit the ball and get it to the wall and, you know, survive out there. But I played, so we, you know, we have this uh, this league at the MAC and I'm in this league with Chris Kerber. Remember I told you about uh-huh. that? So I started this whole endeavor after taking a 20-year break right before Christmas. I told you yesterday I had not won a damn game. Not, not only a match, like I didn't want a damn game. I had Kerber up a couple weeks ago, 13 to 5. That's what Fif- I recall. 15 is you, you win the game at 15, right? Yeah. I still lost and I lost all three. So uh, I'm supposed to play this guy in, in this match this morning. John is his name, but but Kerber was already playing this dude at 8. So I showed up at 9 and then Chris and I played, you know, just kind of a warm up match and I did not beat him. Hmm. And, uh, then he stuck around for a little while. He's watching me play. I wrote the quote down. I actually sent it to him because I thought you'd appreciate this, Sue, here this afternoon. So uh, first game, and I think Chris had beat this guy. Like, he beat this guy today. So I'm thinking, well, I mean, I can keep it close with Kerber. I should be. I might have scored three points, right? I got smoked, right? Mm. And I was very frustrated, and I um, I may, uh, well, here, let's let's just give you the quote, and you can figure out what I did. Here's what Kerber says to me as I stormed out of the court. Okay, you know how he talks. Okay. Okay. Uh, I can't even do it. Don't take this the wrong way, but you kind of look like an asshole when you throw a racket. Ta-da! Christian Kerber, 2-7-2023, about uh, 10 o'clock this morning. You didn't throw a racket. Well, you did? just a little bit. Oh, uh, Mark. Did, it, look, and I had to remind Chris that this is so funny, I love too. that you're going to remind him of something. Well, I was going to remind him. I'm not trying to. He is right. I told yeah. him that. I said, you know, if you look at my response here on the uh, text string, because I sent that to him, I said, look, um, I'm very self-aware. I know that he's not wrong, but I have anger issues. You have to remember about three decades ago, uh, Sue, and this is when I was working with our current boss, Steve Moore, and I was a I was a manager at the time. Like, people worked for me and reported I, to me, I, and I hired them and I fired them. Firing was fun. I kind of like that okay. quite a bit. But they, the company sent me to anger management. <laughs> Did they really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Holy cow. I go to, like, this thing at the Holiday Inn, uh, the, the big- um, Westport? No, Gold no, this Tower? was in, this was in uh, oh. Columbia. So it was the, it was the only oh. hotel in Columbia at the time, probably. The Holiday Inn, whatever they call it, uh, right there at Stadium and um, 70. So, yeah, I went to anger management. And I don't know that I, I don't think it worked. 
I'm pretty what sure they, that it what didn't What did they work. have you do? You know, do you? I don't remember. Okay. The whole thing was the whole thing was silly. Although I'm not saying that I didn't need anger management, but you go to this meeting and somebody's getting paid thousands of dollars to try to convince you to not be angry. They were probably trying to give me some tools that I didn't yeah, use and implement throughout asking. the course of my uh, my life. I have no idea, but I, I failed miserably. But okay, wait a Sorry, second. Sorry, Chris. Wait, Kerber. wait, wait. Hang, hang on, hang on, because I didn't get to the the, the maybe the best part. I almost buried the lead. So the guy beats me, first game. I don't know how it happened. I beat him in the second game. Uh, this is before you threw down the racket or after? It was after. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, so good. You go to That's a third, good. You go to the third game. Third tiebreaker, right? It's the uh, rubber game. You play to 11 in the third game. Oh, I didn't know I that. I think I scored one point. I got killed. <sighs> so the guy might have let me win that second game because he saw how much of a baby I was being. <laughs> That's He might have taken sympathy on me. Well, hey, I at least no you won a game. Uh, you know what? I'm going to take that as a small yes. little victory. Sue, are you ready for the State of the Union address tonight? Uh, I don't care no, about it. No, I don't it. care either. I'm not going to watch the damn thing at all. You know, people think I'm joking. About it. I don't watch these things. And I don't, well, I don't care if it's a Republican in office or a Democrat. I'm going to kind of zip through it probably a little bit tomorrow. But I can't sit there. Why would anybody? I don't care if you're a political animal. I don't care if you desperately want to know what the State of the Union is because you're not going to really discover what the State of the Union is tonight. Why in the world would you waste any of your time in watching this silly nonsense tonight? I really don't know. It's just a show for the networks. I, I don't even know why they put it on. I guess they feel a responsibility, uh, a civic responsibility to the country. If I'm in charge, hell, here, here's some advice. I'll go to Chris Licht at CNN. Okay. He'd be probably be the best person too. If CNN wants to maybe get some ratings tonight, let's do something different. Don't air the state of the union. Now I know they're going to, cause they, they feel like they're a news network, put something out, counter program the state of the union. I don't, I don't care what you do. Put something, you know, Don Lemon goes, um, Hunting or something. I don't know what you're going to do. You're going to get better ratings probably than the State of the Union. But the whole thing is a bit of a... (laughs) That would be kind of fun to watch, (laughs) wouldn't it? It would be Well, let me give you a little bit of uh, State of the Union history here if you're placing your wagers in Vegas. The... um, I have some numbers here from the the records. Because this thing, I think people are hoping that Uncle Joe keeps it under an hour tonight. Well, first of all, he might have to nap after that long, so you have to keep that in mind. It was Bill Clinton, Sue, that still, to this day, holds the title for the longest-spoken State of the Union speech on record. A little nuance there was spoken. I'll explain that to you here in a second for those of you keeping score at home. The address that he gave in 2000 took one hour, 28 minutes, and 49 seconds George W. Bush and Barack Obama kept their State of the Union addresses to about 50 minutes um, and one hour, respectively. Trump came in close to the record. He gave a speech. I remember this in 2019. His State of the Union lasted one hour, 22 minutes and 25 seconds. His average was only about two minutes shorter. So he went on and on. He liked to talk quite a bit. Um, Between just Clinton and Trump, they hold the longest seven modern State of the Union addresses on record. Clinton holds spot one, two, and five, and seven. Trump holds three, four, and six. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Biden's first State of the Union address was roughly one hour, one minute, and 50 seconds, more in line with the the averages of Trump or Clinton's. Um, now, I, I mentioned written. Wouldn't you like to go back to this? So in 1981, I don't really remember this, Sue. I was but a, a little 16-year-old kid here in St. Louis at the time. Maybe not even 16 because I would have turned 16 in April. 
But Jimmy Carter chose to just chime in with the written word because it really doesn't say you have to do this big speech or that it has to be televised. You might remember that when the founders uh, came up with all these things, we didn't really have the televisions. No, no we didn't you know, in or, the, or the 1700s. So Jimmy Carter in 1981 wrote 33,667 words. Um, when he would do those that he would read, they averaged 37 minutes, which that's not too bad at all, really, when you think about it. The shortest State of the Union address. I feel like I'm stealing information and maybe some potential trivia from Sue's News this afternoon. But Mm. it was 1972 as Richard Nixon, the shortest State of the Union address on record. That was before Watergate. 28 minutes, 55 seconds. Wouldn't it be great to kind of just get a real... Maybe I'd watch the damn thing if it was under a half hour. Exactly. If it were 28 minutes, somebody might tune in. Now, I long for the days where we had... You know, if you want to talk about... um, whether or not this is something that deserves to be watched or if there's anything serious that's going to come out of it. I mentioned, I think, Ronald Reagan yesterday. This is from 1986 when he gave his State of the Union. Tonight, I want to speak directly to America's younger generation because you hold the destiny of our nation in your hands. God, I hope he doesn't say that tonight because if that's the case, I'm scared to death about the nation. If it's the young people that hold the destiny of the nation, our young people today, sorry, young people, but if your parents, you know what I'm talking about, I'm horrified. With all the temptations young people face, it sometimes seems the allure of the permissive society requires superhuman feats of self-control. But the call of the future is too strong, a challenge too great, to get lost in the blind alleyways of dissolution, drugs, and despair. Never has there been a more exciting time to be alive. That was the year that I graduated from um, the University of Missouri. Now, that, was, that would have been in January, I guess, or February of 1986. I graduated in December. And it was an exciting time, Sue. Yeah. I can confirm that the mid-'80s were an exciting time. For me, they remained exciting until about November 2nd of 1992 when I quit drinking. Mm. But they were pretty exciting and from that period on, they were really exciting. We'll say that. So here's Kevin McCarthy talking about what he might hear tonight in expectations. What is the state of the union right now? Because we're going to hear it's great tonight. It's not great. I mean, people are worried. Every breakfast, people used to have eggs and think it was no big deal, just some protein. Now it's almost a specialty because the price is so high. I mean, they're worried about the fuel. They're worried about their jobs as they go. They see inflation time after again. And then when you look at the latest polling, they're worried about their government. So this is the moment, and this is the discussion I had with the president. It shouldn't be that they're worried about the government, their number one issue. Why are they worried about that? People just bickering back and forth and not solving problems. So Tim Kaine, uh, if I remember correctly, ran for um, vice president at one point. You might remember that. He is uh, he's one of these goofy guys that went to Mizzou and then KU, and he kind of claims KU. I never liked that about Tim Kaine. Right? <laughs> I because bet he's not. Got, he went to, what did he do? He went to, I can't remember if I get this right. Did he go to Mizzou Law School? Vice, I don't know. He didn't even go to KU, but he's from that area over there. I don't like him just because of that, because he likes KU. Let me just say this, but here's what he said. Still a COVID hangover. I mean, a million people died, and in that same time, we've had economic challenges. We've had an attack on the Capitol. We've had two impeachment trials. We've had racial justice protests driven by really horrible instances of, of violence against folks by police. And just, it, it's been a very, very difficult time. And my experience, I'm almost 65, is that during challenging times, people are a little bit wary about letting their hopes come up. 
uh, and, and, and they're a little bit slow because in a time like this, they don't want to have their hopes dashed. So I think people are starting to get the hang of it. They don't yet see everything that they want to see. They're, they're, they're wary about getting their hopes up. But I think what President Biden needs to do is emphasize the wins, but say, you ain't seen nothing yet. We yeah. got more to do. Oh, gosh, please don't. And I'm not exactly sure what the wins are. There's no doubt that, you know, the first two years of the administration, though, were during turbulent times. But um, maybe he'll maybe take a little time tonight in emphasizing how the administration made all of this so much worse. I'm guessing they might not do that. KJP asked about that. As you know, the president is heavily, uh, as I've said many times, heavily engaged in the writing process. When you when you hear the speech, you're certainly here. Uh, there'll be no question that this is a Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden State of the Union speech. Uh, so just want to make that really clear. But, you know, don't want to get ahead of what you're going to hear from him. What does that even mean? This is going to be a Joe Biden State of the Union address. So he's going to stumble and bumble over himself. He's going to get a little confused. He's not going to know exactly what he's saying at certain times, and he'll probably go on and on for uh, quite some time. But we shall see, and we will report back. But don't watch it. You don't. There's no civic obligation for you to watch tonight because we'll recap it tomorrow, even though I'm not going to watch it either. We'll make something up, and you'll all feel good about the State of the Union as we get into the rest of the week. And a serious... Um, on a serious note, Scott Jennings will weigh in on this. CNN political contributor, former special assistant to President Bush and Senator McConnell. His thoughts on a few things, not only what happens uh, with the speech tonight, Balloon Gate, uh, Tlaib booted off foreign affairs. Uh, it's Sarah Huckabee Sanders from Arkansas who will give the rebuttal to the State of the Union tonight. Um, I do want to ask him about the uh, New York Times Harris piece from Sunday and a few other things as well. Victoria Marshall will be with us this afternoon. She writes for The Federalist. She's been a guest before. And she wrote an interesting piece on policing that emphasized the uh, the notion, and I don't think she's wrong about this, is without Black Lives Matters, Tyree Nichols might still be alive. Phil Holloway will be with us this afternoon. And, you know, we, we talked about uh, Sue yesterday, this dynamic pricing model for AMC theaters and we're going to revisit that with our good buddies Dan Buffett and Paul Hall two big movie guys get their reaction a little later on and an audio cut of the day on this Tuesday afternoon we're off and running we really need new phones T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month new iPhone 15s it's better over here. only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. I have to tell you uh, still a little later my, my Uber story because I, I left work last night. And by the time I got home right around 630, it only takes me about a half an hour to get home. I had a $33 charge for a canceled Uber ride that I did not make. What? I was very confused by it. So I'm going back and forth. I'm sending some information to, uh, oh, to Uber creepy. right now. Yeah, it didn't. And, you know, you can't get a hold of anyone in customer service. There's, there's not a chance. So no. they have you go through the app. And then most of the times it takes you down this path where it, 
it appears as if I'm applying to be an Uber driver, which maybe I'll do. <laughs> maybe I'll do that. Well, yeah, because they, 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 lead you be- they lead you to believe if you Google this that there's some sort of Uber phone number that you can complain to. But when you fill out your information and you sign in and then it takes you to that, use, you know, use the phone or that takes you to what would you like to do for oh, Uber? Oh, that's hilarious. Would you like to drive? Would you like to do Uber Eats? So I'm a little confused by that, but we'll work it out. I'll certainly keep you posted okay. on the uh, refund yeah. right. of the cancellation that I made even though I was in my car and I wasn't even in the vicinity. The only thing I can think of is that I did something on my car. That's something with CarPlay, you know, because my phone. Oh, that maybe, now that but, may be. Maybe, but if I did that Wait. and I requested it at 614, I certainly, what the image that came up was me being downtown. I wasn't, you know. Yeah. I was at probably in Kirkwood by 614. Wouldn't you have, re- well, I don't know. I mean. Wouldn't okay. it have come up on my phone? That's what I mean. Yeah. Wouldn't it have said, here's where you get it. Here's his, uh, you know, license well, number and the whole looking, deal. You have to be looking at the app to do that. Well, yeah, but that's how you buy it, right? Yeah. I mean, don't you have to go to the... Yeah, you would, yeah. Uh, okay. okay, I'm confused. Uh, okay. There's a few things that happened uh, in um, in mm. High Ridge, Missouri last night that are very confusing, and I can get into some of those later. Hey, Scott Jennings would love, love, love to hear me talk more about my Uber ride that got canceled, <laughs> but he's got more important things to do, and we're going to talk politics this afternoon. How are you, Jennings, this afternoon? Or uh, is it Roy I, I first? I don't think he's there. Are you there? Oh no! It is. Ro- oh, yeah. see, this is the don't other freak thing. out, Roy. Doctor Spencer. I'm so sorry. This is the the utter confusion that I'm having today. It's all because of this damn Uber ride last night. How are you, Doctor Roy Spencer? Is here from the University of Alabama. The host is not doing very well on this Tuesday afternoon. Roy, how are you? I haven't talked to you in a while. Hey, Mark. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, I could tell you were getting confused, so I knew what was going to happen. Oh man, <laughs> it's just been it's been one of those days. I don't usually reverse. Scott is coming up a little later, so he's coming up after you, which is why I wanted to get to you quickly, and then I sit here and I ramble. But look, the reason I wanted to have you on is because there's interesting information that are, um, I guess, is emerging. You and I have talked a lot about global warming, but I'm seeing some numbers here that indicate that perhaps we're in a bit of a period of cooling. And you're always good at kind of putting these things into perspective and really you know, making things make a lot better sense than they do in the mainstream media. So what are you seeing? You post these numbers all the time at DrRoySpencer.com. What are you seeing right now when it comes to the climate? And are we in a period essentially of cooling to a certain extent? Yeah, well, as you know, you know, we do the global satellite-based temperature data set, which is the only truly global data set of, of, of temperatures. Uh, and for the last, since 1979, I mean, that's when the satellite started. And this last month, uh, we actually came in uh, below normal for the last, uh, you know, compared to the last 30 years or so. Uh, so, you know, some people are making a big deal out of that. I'm not. And the reason why is because we have this La Nina going on. It's actually persisted for a couple of years out in the Pacific. Uh, a La Nina, when it gets going, what happens is the uh, there's more cold water that upwells. You know, there's this ocean circulation. The oceans are constantly overturning at a very slow rate. But sometimes that speeds up and sometimes it slows down. And most people don't realize that this is such a cool factoid. I love talking about it. Most of the world oceans, even the tropics, average about 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Can you imagine how cold the water is, 40 degrees Fahrenheit? It's only the surface layer, a very thin surface layer that gets warm. The rest of the global oceans, even in the tropics, are extremely cold. So when you have this overturning circulation, it brings cold water up, and uh, you know somewhere warm water has to sink. But if it speeds up, it ends up cooling the atmosphere, and that spreads pretty much around the world. And so we have, like, a temporary global cooling going on right now, which is why last month was below normal. 
Is it a period that is it more of an extended recent period of cooling or not? Or you're you're attribu- you're saying, look, this is the La Nina, which some of the warming is sometimes attributed to the opposite of that, isn't it? Right, right. So yeah, when we have a we when we have an El Nino year, which is the opposite of La Nina, then you know temperatures go way up, and that's you know when you hear a record warm year globally, it's usually a La Nina year. So these these are things that happen, you know, every few years. The temperatures go up in El Nino, they go down in La Nina, but the long term trend has been up. Uh, the important thing is that the satellite data shows. The long-term trend isn't up nearly as much as the politicians and Al Gore would lead you to believe. By the way, Roy, did you see the the video or hear the audio of Al Gore at Davos? I didn't even think it was him. I had to look a couple of times. He was a crazy man, wasn't he? Yes, he was losing it. Oh my the old gosh. man is losing it. I shouldn't say old man. He's older than me, so I can call him old man. But honestly, I was up that morning. I remember talking about this on the air when I saw that. I watched it on Twitter, and honest to God, I didn't know it was Al Gore the first time. I'm like, who is this crazy guy screaming about global warming and the ocean, you know, the oceans boiling? And sure enough, it was the former vice president. Yeah, I think maybe he his vegan days are done. He's gotten over that. Did you? Here's the, a couple other things I want to talk to you about, which is good that we're catching up. Also good that I remembered that you were my guest and not Scott Jennings, although it was too late. Did you see the speech that Constantine Kissin did at the Oxford Union here a few weeks ago that kind of went viral? Uh, no. So you would love this. And you have, if you didn't see that, I don't know if you know who this guy is. He's a podcaster. He's from Russia. But he gives this speech before these kids, these, you know, woke university kids. And he goes down this road on climate change, Dr. Spencer, that you and I have talked about quite a bit. And his hook, to a certain extent, I'm not going to do it justice, right? But you, you can look this up or I can send it to you, was some of the same themes, and, and he did this actually very eloquently, about, you know, who could really benefit from some global warming and from some CO2-based energy? Poor people. Russia. <laughs> poor, well, no, yeah, poor people in Russia, poor people across the world that could really benefit from energy and, and having this. So he put this into perspective in a way that you, and again, we've talked about this. You've really talked about this and how it affects, you know, impoverished nations and third world countries and how we could probably do a lot more to benefit them if we focused on carbon-based energy. But Kissin did a great job, just knocked it out of the park and really got a lot of attention on that topic and sort of turned it in a direction I think that maybe a lot of people had never thought about when it comes to warming and climate change. Yeah, it always amazes me how much mainstream media controls the narrative on this and politicians and people like Al Gore and Greta Thunberg. You know, they sort of control what people think about climate change if you're really not into keeping up with the details of it. So, we, you know, what this guy was saying, this Russian guy was saying, as, you're, as you said, yeah, this has been known for decades. It's, you know, lots of peer-reviewed and published papers out there in medical, medical literature showing that cold weather kills 10 times as many people worldwide as hot weather. And yet we're afraid of it slowly getting a little warmer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and, you know, he said in that speech, and this is why he goes, the only thing wokeness has to offer in exchange is to brainwash bright young minds like you to believe that you are victims, to believe that you have no agency, to believe that you must do or to believe that what you must do to improve the world is to complain, is to protest, to throw soup on paintings. He was sort of going off on some of the stuff that's been happening with the, uh, you know, the desecration of artwork, et cetera. We saw a lot of that over the holidays saying, this is just nonsense. What are you doing? And he was trying to inspire them to do the things that I think maybe uh, mankind does. Well, I got to be careful. They're not just mankind. Humankind does best, which is creating 
solutions to these problems, adapting instead right. of uh, focusing on the doom and gloom. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not against um, forms of energy that are not carbon based, you know, that are, are not fossil fuels. I'm not against that. What I am against is, against is spending a lot more on them, on, you know, on wind, on solar, when it's substantially more expensive than uh, the natural gas, for instance. Uh, and that's because, you know, what the extra that people have to pay, which the Europeans are now learning, <laughs> the extra that people have to pay for renewable energy gets taken away. You know, it gets taken away from health care or food or whatever, other, other things that people need to live. So, yeah, it destroys prosperity, and it probably ends up killing people. Well, and I think it does end up killing people, right? I mean, I don't even yeah. think probably is. Yeah, is yeah, right. Scenario. I shouldn't have said probably. I think in Europe they've they've done studies and determined how many you know tens of thousands of people have died because of the increase of energy costs in the winter and people that have to decide, you know, whether to heat their homes or or see the doctor. So I'm guessing we're going to hear some of this stuff about climate change. I just went off in the first segment about how we will not be watching the speech tonight at the State of the Union, but we're going to probably hear stuff about EVs and some of this stuff uh, tonight in the speech. And it's interesting because there has even been some relatively fair media coverage, Dr. Spencer, in the past, I'd say maybe in the past year, focusing on how some of the things that were being sold as far as the benefits of EVs and wind and, and solar may have been overstated from the standpoint of, well, there's a variety of things that really kind of get wound into that where we're not using as little energy as we're being told we're using when it comes to those forms, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, I just saw, I got a friend in uh, in Scotland who just posted on Facebook that today she was keeping track of, you know, how much of their electricity is coming from uh, from their wind. They got a lot of wind energy supposedly installed up there. And 1% currently is, is coming from, from wind energy compared to natural gas. It, it's just a drop in the bucket, and it's, it's extremely expensive. Gover, uh, Germany, Germany over the decades has invested heavily in renewable energy, and their electricity costs have gone up three times as much as, as European countries that haven't invested in renewable energy. That's interesting, right? Uh, and one of the things, kind of going back to the, the speech that Constantine Kissin made, Dr. Spencer, is he kind of, he talks about how, again, this is not, I should have this audio, but he talks about how all these people, you know, you have, what, billions now of people in India and China can throw Russia into that as well. And they're not going to give up the, uh, the amenities that they have. If they're given the opportunity to have a good style of life or a good lifestyle that affords them the benefits of air conditioning, heat, water that's heated, you know, warm shower, you're not going to give that back in the name of living in a house that's basically 300 square feet to save the planet. Right. Yeah. Especially China. They continue to build coal-fired power plants. They are going to get as much energy they need however they need to. If you ever see, and Al Gore falls for this all the time, you know, I think the Chinese are pretty smart at, at, the, at the PR campaign they have. You know, they can, they can increase the amount of renewable energy that they produce, you know, year after year. They can do that. And then people like Al Gore say, well, China is increasingly investing in renewable energy. Well, it's a drop in the bucket compared to the new coal-fired power plant that they're building every week. Yeah. Yeah, and his so he said in the speech because I've, I've been able to cross reference with it was if Britain because he was at the Oxford Union, 
He says, if Britain were to sink into the sea right now, it would make absolutely no difference to the issue of climate change. You know why? Because the future of the climate is going to be decided in Asia, Latin America, by poor people who couldn't give a rip about saving the planet, right? They want their lifestyles like the rest of us have right now. Yes, yes. India India has made it clear they're going to do what they need to make sure that India prospers. And China... They will, you know, they if they come up with some sort of agreement to reduce emissions, it won't mean a thing. The politicians will love it, but they will keep increasing carbon dioxide emissions into the future, whatever they need to do. Uh, it doesn't matter what they promise. It means nothing to them. Did you ever end up writing anything on the, and I mentioned the website quite a bit, it's drroyspencer.com, on the whole debate over gas stoves by any chance? Uh, well, no, I didn't. It was just too silly to even address <laughs> it is silly, but I keep seeing more and more about it. But the, the bottom line is that I, I think some of that isn't only about the supposed health benefits because of kids that get asthma, but some of that's about climate change in the same way. The Washington Post just did a piece last week about uh, how they're doing something in New Zealand to, you know, once again, address the issue of cow farts and burps. Yes, anything that produce, produces carbon dioxide will be attacked eventually. And this we knew this. 30 years ago when the green movement went after coal is the, the you know, the, the, the natural gas people thought, Oh, this is great for us. Yeah. And the coal people were telling the natural gas people, you just wait, they will be coming for you next. And that's what they're doing. Dr. Roy Spencer, always great to have you on. Sorry about the confusion there at the beginning of the segment that is on the host and you have a, a great week and we'll talk again soon. I appreciate it, Roy. Uh, thank you, Mark. The website is fantastic. All kinds of uh, information up there at drroyspencer.com. And now, Scott Jennings is coming up next. All right, we have uh, Sue's News coming up after the top of the hour. Victoria Marshall from The Federalist is coming up in the four. Also, Phil Holloway, Fox News legal analyst. Right now, our good friend Scott Jennings, who will you be on set tonight on CNN trying to keep that gang sane, or is that not your assignment? How are you? I'm great. And yes, I'm in New York. I'll be out there with Anderson Cooper from 8 p.m. Eastern to 1 a.m. Eastern uh, before, during and after the State of the Union. I, I can't even watch Jennings. I really can't. I mean, I'll, I'll catch up on some of the. I'll watch you afterwards and see what you say, because and it really isn't a partisan thing for me. I just can't take these things. You, you probably, you know, have you ever been in the room for one of them in the chamber? No, I I never have. Uh, actually, uh, certainly watched them always. And for the last several years, I've had to sit and watch from a TV set and comment on it. Um, truthfully, I think if Joe Biden had just sent over like an email to the Congress and said, hey, here's the State of the Union and uh, that's all I'm doing, he'd probably have like an 80% approval rating tomorrow. So, <laughs> Well, I referenced this earlier. I didn't realize that um, even though I was alive back then, 1981, Jimmy Carter just sent, basically didn't send an email, didn't have it, right? He just sent, you know, uh, a, a script of 33,000 words and that was the State of the Union. Didn't have all the television and stuff like that. What would be wrong with that, right? N nothing. I mean, the president is only mandated in the Constitution to provide a report. Doesn't say he has to make a speech. I think I read a and I've had the New York Times this week. Somebody was proposing that they do something more produced. I mean, truthfully, he could send over a written document to Congress, produce a television show, which I'm sure that all the networks would air. And it would be far more compelling television than, you know, what you're going to get uh, out of this thing tonight. I, I, I think this power of the State of the Union to change public opinion uh, has long since vanished. And I don't think he's going to be able to do or say anything tonight. Absent one thing, which he ought to do. Announce to the American people he's not running for re-election. If he did that, 
would be a total uh, game-changing moment for the country. But absent that, there's nothing he can do tonight to change public opinion. You think McCarthy and the staff have been doing a little shopping? It's hard to find ties these days, but if you could find a tie with some balloons on them, I think it would be perfect (laughs) for the event tonight, right? I saw Marjorie Taylor Greene, a picture of her earlier. She was walking the hallways of the Congress with a large white helium balloon on a string. So we'll see if uh, we'll see if somebody uh, brings one into the chamber. All right. But Jennings, on a serious note, here I am on Friday afternoon. And by the start of the show, I think right around when we started at three, it was already coming across into our area and people were sending pictures. By 415, Congressman Wagner was texting me, trying to get a hold of me and Fred was out. So we were trying to get her on and she came on. She was so pissed because she's seeing it out here in West St. Louis County in the suburbs. So it's it's fun and everything to make fun of it and talk about the balloon. But I'm still very confused by the uh, the response or the lack of response. And of course, I saw a bunch of the talking points on Saturday morning from Joe Scarborough and others on the left saying, see how wise the president is. We didn't shoot it down and we'll have all this information from the balloon. And then they just blew it up anyway. Yeah, I just uh, right before we went on the air, uh, I'll just read this. Senator John Cornyn, he's part of the gang of eight in Congress, and they got a secure briefing this afternoon. And he came out and said the Biden administration knew they could shoot down the Chinese balloon as it hovered near Alaska and the Aleutian Islands. Of course, it went from Alaska and then through Canada all the way down through the middle of the country, over Missouri, over western Kentucky, where I'm from, and and finally they shot it down over the ocean. They could have done it when it was over the uh, islands off of the coast of Alaska, and they chose not to. Whatever you believe, whether it was smart or dumb to to let it fly, what's true is it's a huge embarrassment. Yes. (laughs) I mean, there's no other way. I sat on TV last night with some people, and they were trying to make this argument how wise it was and whatever it's a it's an embarrassment the chinese government sent a stupid balloon flew all the way over the united states and it and it looked like the president was paralyzed by a balloon i mean it's it's a total embarrassment and now you're going to have people coming out of this briefing today saying we could have taken care of it several days ago before it ever went over anything serious it's an embarrassment well i the thing that i guess i'm confused about more than anything is if if maybe he didn't do this but he says he told the military, give, give them the green light to shoot it down, right? And then they say it's not a good there, – there's something that's just not right with that. I mean, he's the commander-in-chief. Do you give an order? Do you seek advice? I mean, I'd listen to the generals if I was president. Thankfully, I'll never have to, you know, confront that. But why would the generals say don't shoot it down? That, that doesn't make sense either. Well, I think, you know, they have certain operating protocols, I guess, regarding what military operations they conduct in American airspace – they, I think, you know, from what I read, made an early judgment that it didn't have offensive weapons on it. So query whether they had clearance to shoot it down. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe some of them did think they could mine some information out of it. That's not an invalid thought. I will just ask this question. If we sent a balloon to China and they detected it, do you think they would let it fly no. across the entirety of their country before shoot? Of course not. Of course not. They would shoot it down immediately. And I think the average American, I mean, look, there's a lot of game theory here and second-guessing and armchair quarterbacking, but I think the average American is like, no, if we look up and the Chinese have a balloon, yeah, let's just go ahead and shoot it and figure out what to do with it then. What was your um, – well, let me let me back up a little bit here uh, on Kevin McCarthy and the start that he's had. And I want to get into the um, Congresswoman Omar kicking her off foreign affairs. I think it was appropriate. Obviously, you had tears and, and all kinds of drama on the floor of the House with uh, – 
you know, her colleagues, including AOC and Cori Bush the other day. And um, your thoughts on that, I guess, Scott. On Omar, I think I think it was a righteous vote. Uh, I think she's an anti-Semite. I think I think anti-Semitism is on the rise in this country. I think it's on the rise around the world. And I think on Sunday, last Sunday, when she and Adam Schiff and um, uh, Swalwell went on State of the Union on CNN to whine about what's being done to them, you know, she sat there and got asked some questions about her statements about uh, Jewish people in Israel and sat there with a straight face and told Dana Bash, well, I didn't even know those were Jewish tropes. I didn't know Jewish tropes existed. That, that, that someone, more than just a little bit strained credibility. Yeah. Oh, well, number one, it's, it's baloney. And number two, what was also crazy about that, Adam Schiff, who is Jewish himself, was sitting right there and did nothing. But for her to sit there with a straight face after all the things she has said about uh, using the anti-Semitic tropes to claim she didn't even she was not even aware that there's been anti-Semitism or anti-Semitic tropes in the world. I mean, that 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 if, if that let's just get let's take her at face value. If that's true, that's disqualifying on its face because you're obviously not a sentient human being. Like you don't <laughs> you know like you you don't have the intelligence to sit on a serious committee. It's baloney. It's crap. You cannot harbor anti-Semitism. You cannot harbor these tropes. You cannot countenance this kind of hatefulness towards a group of people and then expect to be rewarded for it. But that's exactly her expectation. She also denigrates this country all the time. How terrible this country is. She's in her 30s. She came here from nothing, from a foreign country, became a citizen, and now is in Congress. She's had a pretty pretty good run of it here in the United States, but has the audacity to tell the rest of us what a terrible country yeah, this it's, is? It's ridiculous. Crazy. I, I've got no patience for her. So what did you think about the New York Times piece? I love on Sunday you're reading this piece about, you know, the administration and Kamala Harris. It's for about four or five paragraphs. It's about how Kamala's frustrated and, you know, she's trying to come up with what to say to this teacher's union. And then she corrects her speech. She's got a more spirited version. Then they finally get to the crux of the issue that we've been talking about for a long time. But the pain Painful reality for Ms. Harris is that in private conversations over the past few months, dozens of Democrats in the White House on Capitol Hill and around the nation, including some who helped put her on the party's ticket, said she had not risen to the challenge of proving herself as the future leader of the party, much less the country. Jennings, we've talked about this for two years now. And you know as well as I do that everybody talks about it behind the scenes. The New York Times finally puts this in print. What's the reaction inside the Beltway? Yeah, well, I think the reaction is nobody thought. She was all that talented to begin with. Most of all, the voters in the Democratic primary. I mean, she lasted in the Democratic primary for president for like five minutes. It was inexplicable. Well, maybe it was explicable, but it was dumb when Joe Biden put her on the ticket. With the results of putting a very mediocre person on the ticket, this, of course, is all a huge pressing problem, because if he runs for reelection and were to somehow get reelected, he'll be 86 years old at the end of his next term. Even Democrats don't want Joe Biden to run again. And now they've realized his number two is not up to the challenge either. And so, I I mean, they're looking at a future where either they nominate an extremely old man or they have really no second option, no obvious second option if he determines he doesn't want to do it. It looks to me like they're going to nominate Biden, but 86 at the end of his next term, the vice president is hugely important. And Democrats realize they have an extraordinarily mediocre person in the job. He's not going to get rid of her, of course. So they're stuck with somebody who's just frankly not all that good. I mean, 
I don't know who's worse uh, in front of a camera right now, Kamala Harris or Corrine Jean-Pierre, who's the worst press secretary in the history of the title. I mean, they really do have a major problem with outbound communications in this White House, starting with Biden, his vice president, the press secretary. None of them are good at it. And it's really- so what I hear, though, is that and this is what I hear from most people, that you just expect this to kind of roll on. At a certain point, he's going to have to announce that he's in this race or that he's not in this race. And that would probably have to come before the end of the summer. Right. I would think so. Unless, you know, unless they think that, um, you know, they've got the, the calendar reconfigured to the point where he's not vulnerable. Uh, and by the way, if he does choose to run, I think there's virtually no way he won't be the nominee. I don't know how you would beat a sitting president. Uh, in a primary like this, unless he just completely deteriorates even further. Well, which, that's, I mean, that's a possibility. It really is in, in a sad way because. But but he may not feel the need to to file this campaign. I, I'm expecting him to run pretty soon. Uh, like I said, though, the I mean, look at the polling from the weekend. Sixty percent of Democrats don't think he should run or they don't want him to be the nominee. That's a big 70, 80 percent of the 70 or 80 percent of the American people don't want him or Trump to run. I mean, there is a clear market demand in the party and in the country for new people and acquiescing to it would be the best thing he could do for his party yeah. and for his country. He's not going to do it, but that would be smart. I saw your tweet on that. I retweeted that a couple of days ago. Scott Jennings, enjoy your time handicapping, reacting to the State of the Union tonight on CNN. We'll talk soon. We'll talk baseball next time, too. That'll be fun. I'll talk to you later, Mark. We'll see you, Scott. Thank you. Get more at 971talk.com. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t 